Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about investing your super in property with some borrowings. Now, in 2007, uh, the laws changed to allow self-managed super funds to borrow to invest if they met specific compliance obligations. And this led to a lot of borrowing really between 2007 and around 2017, totaling around about $45 billion. So a lot of people use this strategy to take their super with some borrowings and invest it in property. However, the major banks started withdrawing their loan products in around around 2017, 2018, and also superannuation contributions were tied the the tax deductible contributions you can make into super. So over the last five to six years, there hasn't really been a lot of activity in this space. That is fewer people. In fact, very few uh, people have been borrowing to invest their super in property. However, recently, over the last sort of year or so, some uh, new lenders have entered into the self-managed super fund borrowing market uh, and offering pretty favourable terms, including favourable interest rates. And this led me to thinking about, well, let's reconsider whether this strategy still has merit. Now, as I said, normally super funds aren't allowed to borrow money because it doesn't meet the sole purpose test. And the sole purpose test is to... Um, build retirement savings for members, uh, and the 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 people that wrote the legislation in the early 90s decided borrowing didn't really meet that test. However, the Howard government back in 2007 introduced an exemption to this general pro- prohibition, uh, and this allowed self-managed super funds to borrow if they met specific criteria, including one that the property had to be in a separate bear trust. So whilst it had a mortgage against it, it needed to be held in a separate trust outside of the self-managed super fund. Uh, And secondly, the the loan must be limited recourse. Uh, That means that if the borrower, the self-managed super fund defaults on the loan, that the lender can only recover their loan funds through selling the property. They can't access any other self-managed super fund assets or um, seek Uh, the shortfall from members. So it really sort of quarantines that arrangement, if you like. Now, the rules are pretty complex. uh, And so there's uh, always uh, idiosyncrasies with it. Um, For instance, uh, you can't uh, borrow to to buy a property on multiple titles. So sometimes apartments, you'll find that the apartment is on one title and the car park is on a separate title. Um, and you've got to be really careful about making significant improvements to that particular property. So you can't buy a kind of renovator's d- delight, if you like. And it really means that if you want to enter this sort of transaction, uh, it's really critical to get uh, professional advice to kind of navigate all these rules. So as I said, over the last five to six years, the, the amount of borrowing inside super hasn't been that substantial. And there's really two reasons for that. Uh, Firstly, in 2007, when these uh, rules were introduced, um, the concessional contribution cap, which is the amount that you can contribute into super and claim a tax deduction for, was quite generous. It was $50,000 for most people, uh, and for people over 50, it was $100,000 a year. This higher cap meant that you could... Um, contribute what you wanted to super and you probably still had enough room to be able to fund an investment property shortfall 
and you get a tax deduction for it, which means that it's kind of the same same tax outcome as negative gearing, so having the property in your personal name. However, in 2009, only a couple of years later, the concessional cap halved to 25000 for people under 50, and on in 2012, uh, for people over 50, it also came down to 25000 as well. And that had a big impact on self-managed super funds' ability to borrow because they were limited in terms of how much they can contribute to super. Uh, and also, uh, the a property would eat up probably most of the contributions, so it reduced people's ability to diversify as well. The second uh, reason that contributed to the fall in self-managed super fund borrowing was increased scrutiny by the regulator, APRA, on interest only in investment lending that sort of occurred around 2017, 2018. Um, and as such, uh, lenders started to reduce their products. So they needed to reduce the amount of interest only le- lending they were doing. Uh, and also they wanted to reduce the amount of investment lending they were making as well, uh, which is uh, translated or contributed, I guess, to the rental crisis that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, but anyway, it was very easy for them to say, well, let's just not do any self-managed super fund lending anymore. Uh, given these loans only accounted for, you know, less than 1% or around 1% of total loans out there. So it wasn't a big business for the major banks. Now, as I said at the beginning, uh, recently some uh, smaller mortgage managers and kind of fringe lenders, so not big banks, but uh, small lenders have decided to re-enter the self-managed super fund market. And so now you can borrow up to 90% of a property's value. It used to be, you know, going back 10 years, that the maximum loan-to-value ratio was 80%. So that's going to help people uh, get a lot more leverage. Uh, In terms of determining a self-managed super fund's borrowing capacity, uh, lenders, these lenders will take into account 80% of prospective rental income. They will average out any investment income that the super funds earned over the past 24 months, the past two years. They will include mandatory super contributions. And if there's a history of two or more years of voluntary contributions, they will also include that. And the variable interest rate that they're offering is around about 7.3%, which might sound high and it is higher than standard loans. uh, But the interest rate that the big banks are charging on their legacy self-managed super fund loans are around about 2% higher than that. So Whilst it might seem expensive, it's a lot cheaper than what the big banks were offering. So in summary, these uh, products are pretty attractive, which again invited me to really consider whether this strategy is worthwhile. But before I get there, um, it, it it's worth noting that if you do have in existing borrowings inside a, a self-managed super fund, uh, that you could potentially consider refinancing. Because as I said, uh, these days, uh, particularly if you've got it through a major bank, your interest rate is probably north of 9%. And uh, whereas if you refinance to these new lenders, uh, you're potentially going to save around 2% per annum on interest costs, which is pretty considerable. I mean, it just depends on your loan size, but could be considerable. The only thing to consider here is that The large banks are what's called approved deposit institutions, which means if they give you an offset account, up to 250,000 is government guaranteed. That came in around the GFC time. 
Uh, these, these small lenders, though, are not approved deposit institutions. Some of them offer offset accounts. And because they're not ADIs, I wouldn't be suggesting you'd leave a lot of money in offset account. So if you're going to refinance, really use it as a vanilla loan rather than using any sort of bells and whistles like offset accounts. Um, but they're still very reputable and trustworthy lenders. So there's no problem in terms of risk profile. It's really in terms of risk profile for the mortgage. It's really just about the any linked offset accounts. Just be careful. Ensure the lender's a, an ADI if you're going to use one. And of course, a, a knowledgeable mortgage broker will be able to sort of walk you through those options and uh, considerations and so forth. Okay, so let's talk about the pros and cons or some of the pros and cons of borrowing to invest as a strategy. So I've emphasized in many, many podcasts that the objective to investing in property is to buy an investment grade asset. And an investment grade asset is one that has the fundamental attributes to generate a compounding capital growth rate, an average growth rate over many decade periods of 7% or more. That means that the property is going to double in value every 10 years. It's not going to do that every 10 years perfectly, but if you hold it for 30 years, it'll double a couple of times uh, through that ownership period, which is is the way that's going to, it's going to do all the heavy lifting to help you uh, build substantial wealth. Now, one of the consequences of holding a property for that long period of time is that it creates a significant capital gains tax liability if and when you come to sell that particular asset. So the primary benefit of owning property inside your self-managed super fund is that if you come to sell that asset and you are in retirement or pension phase, uh, potentially you can uh, substantially reduce the amount of capital gains tax that you pay, uh, if not potentially eliminate it in totality. So let me explain that further. When you're in retirement and your super is in pension phase, the first $1.9 million of super, of your super balance, is entirely tax-free. That means you won't be subject to any tax on any income or capital gains that that balance generates. The next $1.1 million, so between $1.9 and $3 million, is subject to a 15% tax rate on income and only 10% tax rate on capital gains. And furthermore, pending new legislation, which was only just released the other week, if your total super balance exceeds $3 million, you will face an additional 15% tax on top of that. But really between zero and $3 million, you're not paying very much tax, particularly in terms of capital gains. And that's each individual member. So if you have a spouse, between the two of you, you can have up to $6 million in super and not pay very much tax at all. And in particular, if you go out and buy a property with some borrowings and then you go and sell that property in, say, 20 years' time after you've retired, and, and let's say your total super balance, your you know the total value of your self-managed super fund is less than, say, $3.8 million, which is two times $1.9 million being the um, transfer balance cap, you won't pay any capital gains tax. And that's going to save you, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars compared to if you had that property invested in your personal name. And that's the major attraction for people borrowing to invest in super. So then let's talk about the major disadvantage. 
And the major disadvantage is that you could be highly sensitive to changes in laws and available lending products, which is exactly what we've experienced over the last 15 or so years. You know, the government frequently alters superannuation regulations and kind of shifts the goalposts. And so if your situation is is tight and doesn't give you enough flexibility to sort of navigate those changes, you know, it could result in kind of adverse outcomes. So let's look back at, you know, if you went and borrowed to invest in property when the legislation changed in 2007 or 2008, around that time, you know, if you made your decision based on the fact that you could contribute, certainly at that time, $50,000 each into super, so maybe $100,000 between two spouses into super, if you made a financial decision assuming that you could do that forever, and then the legislation, as I said, changed a few years later, meaning that you could only contribute half of that amount into super, you know, some people could have got themselves into a bit of trouble in terms of the super fund not having enough cash flow to fund the borrowings, or even uh, more common is that that is the only asset their super fund was available to, to hold. So you just want to be really careful about making a decision and being open to um, the government turning around and changing or moving the goalposts, and then that having a big impact, a negative impact on your situation. So typically my preference is to keep gearing, so borrowings to invest outside of super. And by doing that, um, it allows people, I think, to put all their super into shares and bonds, a diversified portfolio, and use their personal cash flow to cover the borrowing costs associated with investing in property. So property outside super, shares and bonds and so forth inside super. And whilst, yes, it might result in paying more capital gains tax in the future, what it does do is still drives a good negative gearing benefit. And we know that saving tax today is a lot more valuable than minimising tax in, say, 20 or 30 years' time. If and when you actually sell the property, you might actually never end up selling it and might be an estate issue rather than a a personal tax planning issue. And the other benefit of taking this approach is that you can look at super as sort of funding the first phase of your retirement and then property funding the second phase of retirement. So, you know, your super might last, say, 10 to 15 years, that'll allow you to hold on to these these property assets for another 10 to 15 years. And we know that the longer you can hold on to property, the, the better, particularly in dollar terms, the compounding annual growth rate is uh, and the amount of equity that you build in those properties. So if by using super first, if it allows you to you know, hold that property for another 10 years or 20 years, you know, that extra... Um, decade or two could have a huge impact on the dollar value of, of capital growth. So of course, there's other minor pros and cons, but they tend to be the the major sort of pros and cons. As I said, I typically like to have the gearing outside super. Uh, now, the question would be, when would borrowing inside super um, be a, a good strategy con- to consider? Well, I think if you've already kind of maximized your borrowings outside of super, so that is not, you might not have borrowed to your full absolute capacity from the lender's perspective, but you, you from a strategy or risk perspective or cash flow perspective, don't feel like adding more borrowings outside super is worthwhile. And also, if you already have sufficient diversification inside super, so that is that if if you go and buy a property, borrow to buy a property, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. If you've already got 
reasonable assets inside super, say a million dollars or more, well, then you can probably take some of that money and contribute as a deposit towards an investment property and leave a reasonable proportion still invest in other assets like shares. And so if you're in that situation, yeah, um, borrowing to invest in property might have some merit. But if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, again, I'd typically prefer the gearing outside super. Secondly, the strategy might be suitable for younger individuals. So for example, if I'm 30 years old today, unfortunately I'm not, but if I was, you know, I can't access super until I'm 60. So I've got a 30 year time horizon there. If I then go and buy a property inside super, I probably have ample time to service that loan and then also over the next 30 years start building assets in addition to that property. So start investing in shares and so forth. So by the time I get to, you know, 60, which is in 30 years time, I'm going to have a lot of equity in property because of the gearing. And then I'm going to have a lot of liquidity through my share investments also within that super fund. Now, the only problem is that most 30 year olds probably don't have a sufficient super balance and a sufficient income uh, in terms of contributions uh, to to make that strategy work. But, you know, just theoretically, that could actually work. Okay, just to sum up then, my general recommendation is that I advise people to invest in property outside of super with borrowings and invest their super in the stock market to achieve diversification at a total portfolio level. Borrowing outside of super is more cost effective. It aids in minimizing income tax and negative gearing, offers greater flexibility and still allows you to invest in the stock market in a tax effective environment. So that is superannuation. Of course, there could be limited circumstances where borrowing to invest is advantageous for you, but I think it's obviously really essential that you receive some independent advice before doing that. Okay, a bit of a longer one this week. Apologies for that. I hope it's uh, of interest. And if you need any more information, of course, uh, refer to the blog on the website and the link is in the show notes. Thanks, guys. Until next week. Bye for now.